growing up, I would receive an allowance for my chores like a lot of kids do. I had a set list of chores that I'd have to complete each week. Um, and usually on the, at the end of the week on Saturdays, my dad would come and give me my allowance. Now, for those of you who don't know, my dad was a pastor. I grew up the son of a preacher man. And he was very faithful to instill in me, um, both he and my mom, the importance of tithing and giving money back to God. So I'd get my allowance and I'd have to divide it into three piles. I'd have a spending pile, I'd have a savings pile, and I'd have a tithe pile. And that tithe pile I would take with me to church the next day and put in the offering plate. Now when I was about 10 or 12... I remember putting my offering into the offering plate one day and kind of thinking about the chain of events that went on in me giving my tithe to church. And so later that day, as we were sitting down to lunch, I kind of floated some of my ideas by dad. And I said, you know, dad, I was thinking today when I was putting my offering in the plate, I was just kind of kind of thinking. And it occurred to me that you pay me and then I pay the church. The church pays you, and then you pay me. <laughs> and, and, and it's just a cycle. And I have a proposition. I can cut out two of those steps. <laughs> and, and, not, and, and what that will do is the church won't have to worry about dealing with the finances. You won't have to worry about dealing with the finances. And I'll just keep more of my allowance and not tie it to the church. It's a win-win for everybody involved. And that did not fly with my dad. I still had to continue putting my tithe into the offering plate. But it's interesting that even at that early age, I was trying to come up with ways to get out of giving money back to God. I was trying to justify how I could go about not giving money back to God. I wanted to keep more of it for myself. And my guess is is that most of us here today, at one point in our lives, have had those same thoughts. We've tried to come up with ways or reasons why we shouldn't be giving money to God. We try to justify in our minds and in our hearts why we should not be tithing. Money isn't a very popular topic to preach on these days. We try not to talk about it too much here at Windsor Christian Fellowship. Not that we shy away from preaching on it when it comes up in that expository preaching. But we don't, make, uh, we don't try and go out of our way to make it a, a bigger deal than it really is or to make it more of an emphasis than it has in Scripture. But money and tithing and offerings and giving back to God is a biblical principle. And so if you have your Bibles, open with me to Matthew chapter 25. Our passage this morning is in Matthew 25. And like my dad said in the scripture reading, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's the first of the four Gospels. And when we come to chapter 25, we're really getting towards the end of Jesus' teaching career here on earth. Uh, You'll see in chapters 26 through 28... We go through the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension um, account. But in chapters 24 and 25, we are getting some of the last teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples here on earth. And um, it really is kind of Jesus' expose, if you will, on end times and what it will be like when Jesus returns um, at the end times. If you look in in chapter 24 and just kind of scan through... Uh, some of the headings you'll see um, starting in verse 3. It's the signs of the end of the age. He goes on to talk about the abomination of desolation. We see things like no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. And then we come to chapter 25. In chapter 25, we have two parables that deal with the coming of the kingdom of heaven. The first parable in verses 1 through 13 is about ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. 
Um, they, they are waiting and the bridegroom is delayed and he's delayed and he's delayed until it gets dark out. And five of the virgins have oil for their lamps. Five do not. The five who have oil do not share with those who are unprepared. And so those five young women go off to find oil for their lamps. And while they're gone, the bridegroom comes. The ones who are prepared go with the bridegroom. The ones who were not prepared are, miss out on the wedding feast. But then we come to verse 14 of chapter 25, and Jesus takes kind of another track to, um, again, talk about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. Read with me in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 30. And Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servant and entrusted to, entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is probably a familiar passage for most of you, especially those of us who grew up in the church. We've grown up learning about the parable of talents. And one of the problems with uh, familiar passages is we tend to kind of gloss over them. We tend to, to skip over them because we feel like we've already learned the lessons that are contained within the passage. Um, and we look for more difficult or obscure passages and tend to focus on those. But the beauty of God's word is we can read the same passage over and over and continue to learn and grow from it. And hopefully this morning God's spirit will draw out new lessons for each and every one of us. From this passage. Now, again, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven and what it's going to be like when it comes. We see in verse 14, Jesus says, For it will be like. And that it he is referring to is found back in verse 1 when he says, uh, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. So we're talking about the kingdom of heaven here. And we see in the parable there's four main actors. And one of the reasons I like this parable is you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out. The allegory going on here, right? You can figure out that the master represents God and that the servants represent two groups of people, right? They represent those who are faithful 
and those who are not faithful. They, and, and everybody falls into one of those two categories. And so we see these four main actors, and we start off looking at the master and what he does. We see that he's going to go on a journey, but before he goes, he's going to divvy up his property, his talents, among his three servants. Now, he has eight talents, at least in this parable, and he's going to divide them up among his servants. Now, to give you a little bit of background, um, a talent was the largest unit of money back in this day. Most scholars believe that a talent was about 75 pounds. Um, and so a talent of gold in today's money would be about $1.5 million. It's a lot of money um, to be sure. And so the, the servant who received the five talents received about $7.5 million of his master's money. The one who received two talents received $3 million. And the one who received just the one talent was still receiving $1.5 million of his master's money. But it's interesting to note the method that the master uses to divide up his property. He doesn't just go about and give it in an arbitrary manner. No, look at verse 15 with me. It says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Now that statement there implies that the master knows his servants, right? It implies that the master knows the ability of his servants. It implies that the master knows the strengths and the weaknesses, um, how each of those servants is going to act with his money. It implies that the master knows his servants intimately. Now what this doesn't mean is that the master is playing favorites with his servants. It's not saying that I like you more, so I'm going to give you five talents. I don't like you as much. I'm going to give you two talents. No, we will see in the master's response that he loves the servants equally. What he is doing here is this means that the master knows how to best manage his property. The master knows how to get the maximum return on what is his. So the master divides up his eight talents between his three servants and then he leaves. And so now our focus shifts to the three servants. Jesus first describes for us um, the actions of the first servant. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. The New American Standard says that immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them. And then the passage goes on to say, So also he who had received the two talents went and made two talents more. The New American Standard says, In the same manner. Now our passage doesn't tell us if the servants knew how long the master would be gone. There's no indication that the, ma- that the servants knew if the master would be gone a short time or a long time. They had no idea how long the master would be gone. Yet they went out at once and started putting their master's money to work. They did it um, immediately. They did not wait. There was no procrastination. They didn't say, well, my master's going to be gone a long time. I have time. Um, I don't have to go out right now. No, they went out and did it at once. I think it's also interesting to note that there's no discernible difference between the one, the, the servant who had received the five talents and the servant who had received the two talents. Now, we know that they had different abilities. The, 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 the passage implies that the one who had five talents has more ability than the one who has two talents. That's why he got the five and the other got the two. Yet, just because one has more ability than the other doesn't mean that they acted any differently. In the same manner, they both went out immediately and were trading their master's money and, and, and investing their master's money. But then we come to the third sermon, and he took a much more passive 
approach to guarding his master's money. In verse 18, he says that he went out and dug a hole and hid his master's money in the ground. Now, one thing that is interesting to note about this is back in those days, um, this would have actually been considered an acceptable form of stewardship. That digging a hole in the ground and, and burying your money was considered a responsible way to safeguard your possessions. And although it sounds a little odd to us today, we have very similar things. You know, we talk about people stuffing money under their mattress, right? Or people putting money in their piggy bank or hiding it in a jar up in the cupboard. People hide away money um, to keep it safe. And then it's kind of amplified by the fact that it's not the servant's own money, right? I try and put myself in this servant's shoes. And if my boss, his name is Larry, if Larry came to me and handed me a briefcase and said, Here, Mike, here's $1.5 million in cash. I'm going away. I want you to keep this safe. You know, think of, of what that servant has to be feeling. Think of, I, I would be scared, you know. I'd be like, the first thoughts going through my mind would be like, where am I going to hide this briefcase so no one finds it, no one steals it, so I'm not tempted to spend any of it. And, and maybe I would go dig a hole. I got a new tractor earlier this, this, uh, this spring. Maybe I would take the tractor out and dig a hole and, and bury that briefcase. I don't know. But, but my first thought, I would admit, would not be, to say, hey, look, Larry gave me $1.5 million. Think of how happy he would be if I made him $3 million when he came back. I would be trying to safeguard the money, not necessarily trade with it. And it is important to note that to Jesus' audience, what this servant did would have been considered good stewardship. But then we see in verse, number, in verse 19, the master returns. After a long time, he returns from his trip. And he gathers his three servants together to settle accounts with them. First, we see the servant who had the five talents come forward. And in verse 20, he says, Master, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. In verse 22, we see the servant who had the two talents um, have the same response. He says, Master, you delivered to me two talents. I have made two talents more. Again, there's no, there's no discernible difference between the response of these two servants. Even though they have two different amounts of money, their response to their master is the exact same. They return everything that they had to their master. It's also interesting to note that they return the entire amount to their master. That there is no expectation of receiving any of what they had worked hard for back. That they, the one who had five talents and made five talents more gave all ten talents back. The one who had had been given two and made two more, gave all four back. There was no expectation of receiving anything in return for those. But then we look at the master's response to each of those two servants. Verses 21, docu- or verse 21 documents the response to the first servant. Verse 23 documents the response to the second servant. If you look at them, they are actually the exact same verse. It's just as if they had copied and pasted verse 21 into verse 23. Read one of those verses with me. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So even though the master knew that one servant had more ability than the other, even though more had been given to one servant than the other, even though the master had not divided his property equally among his servants, their, their reward and the response was the exact same. They were both called good and faithful servants. They were both commended for being faithful over a little. 
They were both set over much, and they were both invited to enter the joy of their master. And then we come to the interaction between the master and the third servant, and it's a bit different, isn't it? The third servant comes forward like the first two, but unlike the first two, he starts to offer an explanation for his actions. He doesn't just say, you gave me one talent, here's one talent, like the first two did. He starts going into this explanation. Look at verse 24. The third servant says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now this third servant returns to the master what he had been given. He hadn't lost any of it. He returns every single cent that the master had given to him. Just like if Larry came back and asked for his briefcase, I would be thrilled to hand over the briefcase and not have any of it missing. I would say, Larry, here's your $1.5 million that you kept, gave to me. I kept it safe. Nothing happened to it. Here you go. It's yours. By worldly standards, this servant had been a good steward of his master's money. Yet look at the response the master gives in verses 26 through 30. The master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should, would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now those are pretty harsh words and they stand in stark contrast to what the servant told or to what the master told the first two servants. The first two servants were called good and faithful. This third servant was called wicked and slothful and worthless. The first two servants were invited into the joy of their master. This third servant, however, was cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there's a lot of um, lessons that we can draw out of this passage, but I want to focus on three main points, and they should be on the back of your bulletin. The first thing we need to do is we need to realize where our money comes from. We see in verse 14 that the master entrusted whose property to his servants. He entrusted his property to his servants. Everything that we have is a gift from God, and I mean literally everything. In James 1.17, James writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In Job chapter 1, you remember the story of Job, right? He was this wealthy man. He was a respected man. He had many children. And God, to test him, allows Satan to take, take it all away. His livestock is taken from him. His money is taken from him. His children die. Job's health is taken from him. Job is left childless and destitute and penniless and sick. And yet, listen to what he writes in Job 1, verse 21. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our jobs are a gift from God. Our ability to work is a gift from God. Even the very air that we breathe is a gift from God. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Brandon preached on the portion of James where we're not to boast in tomorrow for we don't know what tomorrow will bring. 
It could be that later today our lives will be demanded of us. We just don't know. Every minute that we are alive and that we have to spend with family and friends to work, to play, to eat, to sleep. It is all a gift from God. Now, it's easy to start to think, sure, my, my job is a gift from God, but, but I contribute to this as well, right? That, that I, I go to my work, I put in my 50 hours a week, um, I shop at thrift stores, we don't go out to eat much, I clip coupons out of the paper, um, I buy things that are on sale, we scrimp, we save. Every penny that is in my bank account, I've had to work hard for. It is what I have earned. And guess what? You're wrong on two different counts. First is that when we realize that we're working with the master's money, all of the work that we do is for the master. Just like the, the servants were given the five talents and they went and worked hard, worked hard. They went at once and put that money to work. And the five talents that they made were given back to the master. Here, this is what is yours. Every bit of work that we do should be for God. And it is with God's money, his gifts, and it is God's. Second, if you do want to lay claim to something, if you do want to say, I earned something, if you do want to feel entitled to something, let me tell you what scripture says that each and every one of us has earned. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Each and every one of us in here has earned death. That is what we are entitled to as sinners. But praise be to God our Father that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And praise be to God that Romans 6.23 does not end there. Yes, it starts out for the wages of sin is death, but it goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only is every, all that we have here on earth God's, our material possessions, our money, our friends, our family, everything that we have, it is God's. But even if God was to take it all away, the best thing that we still have is our eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If everything was to get stripped away from us, just like Job, if we were to lose our friends, our family, our health, our possessions, if it was all to get stripped away, we would still have God. And you know what? That would be enough. When we start to think of money as being God's money and not our money. When we start viewing that paycheck as God's paycheck, not our paycheck. When we start looking at our house as God's house, not our house. Lord willing, our, our thought process will start to change about what we do with God's money. The second point I want to make is that we need to, to learn to trust God with the money that he has given us. Just like the servants in the parable, God blesses each of us according to his will. Yet we search for excuse after excuse and reason after reason not to give some of what God has blessed us with back to him. Sometimes it's out of greed. Sometimes it's out of forgetfulness. Sometimes it's out of fear. But I would venture to guess that the main reason most of us don't want to give money back to God is that on some basic level, we don't trust God. Too often we tend to worry about not having enough money. For some of us, that worry is kind of far thinking like, I don't have enough money in the retirement account. Or I would like to just get a three-month emergency savings account set up first. Or my kid's college fund is lacking. 
For others of us, this worry is more on an immediate level. Like, I don't know how I'm going to pay the rent this month. I don't know how I'm going to buy groceries this week. I don't know how I'm going to fill my fuel oil tank that is running out later this month. But you know what? God knows. God knows all of that. None of that is a surprise to God. When you pray for those things, that's not the first time God is hearing about your dilemmas. That is why I had my dad read that passage from Matthew chapter 6 on not being anxious about tomorrow. Listen to what Jesus teaches in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six thirty-two through 33. He says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All of us would like to have savings in the bank. We'd all have to have, like to have reliable cars and fixed up homes and food in the fridge and wood in the stove. And while it's important not to squander what God has blessed us with, our first priority needs to be God and seeking his kingdom and seeking his righteousness first. We need to be focused on seeking God. God knows exactly what we need. And just like the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, God will provide for us all. And the last point that I want to make this morning is that um, we need to be active stewards with what God has given us. Passive stewardship is not an option for the Christian. Being a good steward by worldly standards is not being a good steward by God's standards. Just because you don't squander or waste what God has blessed you with does not make you a good steward. The third servant in the parable did not waste a single cent of what his master had given him, yet he was thrown into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We need to actively be looking for ways in which we can advance God's kingdom with God's money that he has entrusted to each and every one of us. Now, some of us have been blessed with a comfortable amount of money. Some of us have not been blessed with a comfortable amount of money. That doesn't matter one bit. We need to be just as active with a small amount of money as we would be if we had a large amount of money. Because guess what? To God... It's all small. Did you notice what God's response was to each of the two faithful servants? When he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. The five talent servant. The two talent servant. The exact same response to God. That five talents is a little. Now I'll set you over much. To, to the servant or to the second servant. The two talents. That was a little. And then the, he was uh, set over much. To God, this is all little. He is so much bigger than any of our money problems. I also think of the, the parable of the widow, or not the parable, but rather the story of the widow and her mites. If you recall, the um, widow put in two small copper coins equal to about a penny, and which paled in comparison to the large gold coins that others were dropping in. Yet Jesus said that she was much better of a steward of what God had given her because she was giving all that she had rather than giving out of her abundance. God gives us our money and material possessions with the expectations that we will be active stewards with what we are given, that we will be going out at once and using those possessions to further God's kingdom. You've heard us talking now for a few weeks about the special giving Sunday that we are having next week. 
we as leaders of the church feel that this is just one way in which we as a body of believers can be active stewards with God's money. This is a way for us to give back to God to further his kingdom right here in Windsor, Maine. So far through the renovation project, Brandon, uh, Pastor Brandon and I have been constantly reminding ourselves and reminding each other not to get too excited about what's going on and that we need to be focused on being kingdom-minded first. That as, as elders of this church, our primary mission is to seek God, seek His kingdom, and seek His righteousness first. That's harder to do some days than others, especially with how much that has been going on. But God knows exactly what we need as a church. He knows exactly what needs... Um, to be done with the renovation project. None of this is a surprise to God. None of what is going on out there is a surprise to God. It's amazing how this has come about so far. And God will continue, uh, or God has continued to bless us over and over again. God doesn't need a single cent from us to complete that project. If he wants it done, it will get done. But this is, but God also wants us to be active stewards with what he has given us. And this is just one way in which we can do that. So I would ask you to take your bulletins home, take that removable slip home, and think and pray about what God would lead you to do. Next week when we take the offering, there will be, you'll have two options. You can either make a one-time offering or you can commit to making um, uh, an offering over a certain amount of time. Neither Brandon nor I nor any of the deacons will know who gives what. That is between you and God. All we will know is, is a total amount that was either given or pledged to be given um, to finishing the renovation project. God has given us each a little of his um, property and his desire is that we actively use it for his kingdom. Friends and family, my prayer here today is that on the final day of judgment, when Christ returns in all of his glory, he will tell each and every one of us in here, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Right now, our master is on his journey. We don't know when he's coming back from that journey. But he's graciously given us some of his property. Remember that it is all God's. Everything you have is God's. Trust God with what he's given you and seek him and his kingdom first. And finally, be active. Go out at once and put his money to use. And Lord willing, one day we too will be invited to enter into the joy of our master. Let me pray. Father God, we uh, just come to you now and, and I can't even imagine hearing you tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord, that will be such a relief to hear. That'll be so beautiful to hear those words coming from your mouth directed towards me, God. I just pray that you would make me a faithful steward of what you have given me, Lord. I pray that you would make us all faithful stewards in this church, Lord. Please use your spirit and your word to convict us where we need to be convicted, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, Lord, and to spur us on where we need to be spurred on, God. We just thank you for how powerful you are. For